0: There are 1.8 billion people in the world between ages 10 to 24, the largest generation of youth in history. Close to 90% of them live in developing countries where they make up a large proportion of the population. Diane Dane, how can young innovators help in achieving resilience for the planet?
1: Well, thank you, Jeff. You know, that's a really good question, and it's a really important question because resilience is key to what we want when we talk about sustainability, when we talk about scalability. I think one of the key areas is that they shouldn't be afraid to fail um, because failure I think it was Truman Capote that said, is the condiment that gives success its flavor? And I think that right now, as youth learn from failures, as youth learn that they shouldn't be afraid to hesitate or fail, we can take this energy that's going on right now with all of the youth as they're protesting, as they're trying to make a difference in the climate, and transition them into problem solvers. So we go from protesters to actual problem solvers.
0: Well, and that problem solving and these purposeful partnerships is what we'll be exploring in today's conversation. Welcome to a special edition of the Knowledge Institute podcast, where we talk with thought leaders about achieving resilience in the era of stakeholder capitalism. I'm Jeff Cavanaugh, head of the Infosys Knowledge Institute, and today we're coming to you from London's iconic Abbey Road Studios. We're here with Diane Dane, responsible for global partnerships at the United Nations Technology Innovations Labs. Diane is the Innovation and Leadership Specialist building the UN Technology Innovation Ecosystem for the Office of Information and Communication Technologies. The first lab was established in Finland in 2018, followed by Egypt, Malaysia, and India in 2019. Diane, thanks so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. I'm happy to be here.
0: As a bit of background, How did you get involved in the United Nations?
1: Well, I ran a national organization uh, in Washington, D.C. that was founded by Eleanor Roosevelt, actually, 75 years ago. Um, And it was designed to empower women, especially mothers, as they were literally holding the country together during the Depression. And we had consultative status at the UN, and so we held regular panels there. Based on that presence at the UN, I was asked to come and build an advisory board. Um, I'm from California. So in the technology sector, I had a lot of experience with innovation and startups, and we actually began building some strong advisory um, board for uh, the UN and the technology sector. And then that transitioned into being asked by member states for emerging technology. And as we transitioned to this era of exponential growth in emerging technology, we were finding that the member states were being left further and further behind when it came to developing tools for social needs. And rather than going around piecemeal and responding to requests, which is what we were doing, uh, we decided to send out a note verbal to all 193 member states and tell them that this is something that is going to be impacting uh, if they need tools, if they need resources to emerging technology skills and tools, that we had to offer it to everyone.
0: This is something that's bothered me for a while is because there's so much exponential opportunity and potential with the digital age. It's nonlinear. And certain parts of the world have, if not conquered, it's certainly harnessed it. And we've all enjoyed the benefits of it. And yet, such a large percentage of the world hasn't. And maybe there's not immediate money in it, which is why the commercial interests haven't flowed there. And it seems long overdue that an organization... And really, the U.N. is the only one of its scope and scale to say who's speaking on behalf of these member states. And so I I view your role as so critical as translating from your background and being in California, understanding all that, to getting the word out to people that need it
1: it was really interesting actually and I was I felt very privileged to be on this team It was a very small team but we initially did all the workshops and assess the needs of the member states that and it you're right it's a strong uh, difference between the availability between there's skill set everywhere so it's not a matter of skill it's a matter of having the tools the trust and the availability to build these tools for themselves. And so we offered it to come into their country, being brought in, of course, by the member states themselves, to help them develop these tools and connect them to partners that can help build those tools. And then it was designed to be a network of labs where they would share technologies with each other. So Finland was the earliest adopting state, a member state that brought us in. And each lab focuses on a different set of of social issues surrounding Either pillars of the UN, which are peace and security, human rights, um, or the SDGs, which we're all familiar with, hopefully, by now.
0: Fortunately, and everyone is, I, I conduct a fair amount of talks and I always ask people to raise their hands at the beginning. And it's better now, but it's worth reinforcing these sustainable development goals or SDGs, or 17 of them. And Diane's responsible for number 17, partnerships, where these are literally changing the world. And hopefully, private enterprise and academics, academia, and NGOs can all get behind these 17, and uh, we get together on number four, uh, which was uh, education.
1: Right, that's right. And sometimes they're called global goals in the business in the private sector, um, but they're actually officially called the sustainable development goals for a reason, because we want to build tools that are sustainable, that promote development, that make it equal, and that equalize opportunities for all the member states. So Finland was the first one to bring in a lab, bring us in, and they focus on education, health, circular economy, and peace and security.
0: I would say What's amazing is, um, you know, Finland, like a lot of people, you're aware of it, but until you really get to know the folks there, the journey that they've been on since World War II and before where I wouldn't say it's a developing country, but at the time, they weren't as far along. And by focusing on education and equality in certain areas, the progress they made across about three generations has been astounding.
1: It's really remarkable. And
0: some of the most forward thinking and maybe because they're a smaller country, they're able to run these experiments and see the results faster. And I've had the, um, the pleasure of working with some of the folks. There are some people on your team, and they're certainly forward-thinking.
1: They are. And they're very open to uh, wanting to work with other member states, which is really amazing. They want to share their talents and their time.
0: I think that's amazing is the, the degree to which they want to share. You're on a discussion with them, and and they're talking about wanting to get information in, into Cairo and Egypt and in India and Mauritius, and I'm thinking, are they the center of the UN? But but seriously, I think that they're trying to pay it forward, and they're actually punching above their weight, if you want to call it that. Given that, as you think about your role in SDG number seventeen, are there any of those goals that you tend to focus on more than the other?
1: Uh, yes. Well, we believe that actually SDG number five, which is women all about women and empowering women and equalizing opportunities for women actually has a greater um, multiplier effect on all the rest of the other SDGs. So in other words, if we solve number five and we prioritize women, we impact hunger, we impact food security, we impact so many of the other SDGs. Um, And so our office has actually correlated, we have a, a emerging technology tool, data visualization tool, that actually has correlated uh, most of them to find out how they intersect with SDG5. And that's interesting to me.
0: Yeah. And I'll admit, I'll be the first one growing up and in, uh, in just a farm and very male-dominated and all that For I didn't think as much of this. And I thought, well, of course it's obvious. And yeah, I don't make a big deal about it. And the more I've talked with folks like you and also done, done other research, that correlation, if not causation, effect has really emerged and the number of countries where women are more educated, more in the workforce, they the countries just don't stand for the dictators and for the totalitarian systems. And it's amazing that looking at certain areas, the ripple effect they have. Uh, and that t- certainly for me early on, I'm not a stupid person, but I, I didn't get that. It took a while before I, I warmed up to that.
1: Right, right. It has a direct correlation on early marriage, which has a direct correlation on the children's education. So it's all a, tr- a trickle- a, a trickle down.
0: And the family uh, units as well. Absolutely. You know, what you'll stand for because of your children, your, your, and basically society in general. So I think, uh, you bringing that to, 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 to light or to emphasize, uh, it is great. The other area, I think that has ripple effect is education. And so if you can comment on some of the early work being done there.
1: That's right. Um, education is so important. I, um, I think I wanted to point out one more thing that's kind of women and education. We recently promoted uh, a competition called Reboot the Earth, uh, which I know we were going to touch on, but I'll just jump into it here a little bit um, and tell you that one of the winners from India, actually, uh, one of his his solutions had to do with women because they were not being educated on agricultural principles, which I know you're very familiar with agriculture. Uh, so I thought, I thought of you when you were d- talking just a minute ago. But one of his tools uses AI to actually predict the weather changes and then how that impacts what crops that you will plant in the ground. And then because of the biodiversity needed, especially during climate change, especially the rotational education concept that we just touched on, it's not being taught to women. And when climate change happens, quite often the men have already left because the women who are left raising children and seeing after communities are literally the ones that hold the communities together. And so this tool that was developed actually you know, talk about touching on multiple SDGs, going back to what we just discussed. Education-wise, women are, are quite often left out of the picture. And if you delve deep into this subject, this tool actually helps hit on all of those, those fronts. Um, it takes the education. It takes AI. It educates the women. It breaks them down into small groups. And then it incorporates microfinance. And those types of solutions are the ones that we have to connect.
0: Agree. Everyone, uh, reminding you, once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Abbey Road Sessions, where we're talking without leaders about achieving resilience in the area of stakeholder capitalism. Here with again with Diane Dane, responsible for global partnerships, the UN Technology Innovation Labs. Diane, one of the things that's interesting to me is when I was at the UN last, there was some people from Africa, and I think it's the women farmers, who were the ones who embodied what you said a minute ago, that they were the ones who were making sure that the entrepreneurial aspect, making ends meet what to plant, and actually conducting commerce on their smartphones, what's the UN doing to reach more of these half-entrepreneur, half-family, you know, leader, folks that may not have had the education needed?
1: That's interesting. That's an interesting question. I think it's absolutely critical. Uh, I know that UN Women is working heavily on this. I know that UNICEF is working when it comes to children's welfare. Uh, There's multiple UN agencies that are working across the board on on many different aspects. When it comes to empowering entrepreneurs, um, I believe that women entrepreneurs, when you talk about resilience, we need to go to the women that are actually living the problems on the ground. Um, They're generally taking care of children. are generally trying to make ends meet for themselves, for their children, for their communities. And so when it talks to when we talk about resilience and empowering these women, we need to turn them into entrepreneurs. Um, and I know that there's some work being done in UNDP, there's different agencies that are working on the ground supporting these initiatives.
0: Well, you're about to go into probably if 10 degrees different from that environment, into the snow capped enclave of Davos, uh, Switzerland, here in a week or so, and understand you're talking on uh, rebooting, rebooting the earth, rebooting the oceans. Can you talk about those initiatives? And I mean, they sound grand. And what are they about and what are they trying to accomplish?
1: Well, right now we are all coming together with one common crisis, which is the climate. Uh, we have one earth. And so for better or for worse, in this case, um, it puts us on the same page. And that is what these competitions are designed to do. It's designed to take the energy of youth, where they're demanding that they're not going to take it anymore, and they don't want the future that we seem to be careening towards. Uh, They want more say in that future, and we're actually trying to give them the ability to have more say in that future by turning them into solution builders. So Reboot the Earth was designed to take challenges, climate challenges, and challenge the youth uh, using emerging technology, create solutions that were scalable, sustainable, and turn them into actual solutions that will help our climate. So we had each lab location, India, Malaysia, Germany, Finland, New York, USA, each held a coding competition. Um, Each one had a winner. We we brought them to the climate summit, the winners. Um, And it was very exciting uh, because we got some really amazing tools we're actually following them and and their progress they're actually developing their tools now in Egypt they're working on agriculture on a on a device that's a mobile device that tests the soil and you does it through a vehicle, like a small vehicle, which is very interesting. India, again, women and agriculture. Uh, Malaysia had to do with uh, another area of agriculture. Uh, So we are working on these tools with them, helping them develop them. And then the stage two is Reboot the Ocean, which we're about ready to launch. This is the decade of action. This is the decade of the ocean. Uh, we have the Oceans Conference that's coming in June, the UN Oceans Conference. So we're announcing this Reboot the Ocean Challenge. Again, it's similar platform. It will be an online platform Um, You can find it at um, Unite Ideas. And solutions are going to be built and challenges. There's five tipping point challenges for our oceans. Those challenges will be all found online after next week. We hope to get thousands of solutions from all over the world. If you have a lab that you want to host a challenge at, you can go and let us know and download the challenge and host it and then upload it onto our platform. We're really designing these for the success of our planet at present.
0: Uniteideas.org. Dot dot Got it. Uniteideas.org. Got it. Well, one of the things that's, that's interesting too is the partnerships that aren't just with these young entrepreneurs. They're between public, private, NGO, academics. Can you share what's working well and what's causing you to stay up at night these days?
1: <laughs> what's working well, I think, is that... We're all coming together with a shared, I guess, you know, it's the concept of shared value where we have a common need, each one of us as human beings, to help the planet thrive, to help sustainability and survivability for our for the, the human race and, and for our home. So I think that <laughs> that's keeping me up at night as well as working well, if that makes sense, It's a challenge, but it's also something that has a sense of urgency.
0: Are people buying in the way you want?
1: Not enough. We're not on target to meet the SDGs.
0: That's where I was going.
1: Yeah, we're not on target to meet them.
0: Is it because corporations want to help but are afraid of the short-term impact, or they just aren't listening?
1: You know, that's a really good question. I think that everyone's listening. I think that there's certain ones that don't believe it. Um, And I think there's also countries that because they were later to develop, they don't feel like they feel like it's inhibiting their economic growth as well.
0: It's an excellent point. I want to jump in there because this is why I think, you know, Mariana Bozasan and she does a wonderful job of saying these things within planetary boundaries so that it's a closed loop system. And one of the challenges, you know, I feel is we're asking countries that are just now bursting onto the scene. That's right. That are enjoying all those things that Western society has enjoyed for a long time. And we're saying, oh, by the way, no, you can't have the carbon footprint. You can't do these things. You got to figure out how to do it. So wait a minute, you didn't have to. You can't have the protein in your diet. You can't have all these things. And so it's a bit hypocritical, if I can use that word, as well as just psychologically, you're asking a group of people or, or large groups of people to do things counter to their interests. So... How is the UN or your group thinking about following, you know, psychological tendencies and still getting these things done?
1: That's the challenge, isn't it? That is the challenge. You know, technology-wise, my goal is that, and our goal, is that we take these 10x return traditionally um, developments, emerging technology developments, that are causing such exponential growth in one direction for so many of the population. At the same time, they're creating this giant gulf between those that are not developing them at the same pace. So we have a technology transfer bank that's Uh, in the Office of Least Developed Countries. At the end of the day, when we have labs in countries that are developing technologies, they're open source. They will be, um, we have an IP advisory board that helps us define exactly what portion can be open source and put into that technology transfer bank. So at the end of the day, we're trying as fast as we can to help um, some of these countries get up to speed. You know, it's pretty hard to talk about emerging technologies when you are trying to just survive. So a lot of them don't see the value. So you have to, you know, a lot of it will be.
0: Who cares about the cloud if you don't have water?
1: Exactly. It's like, don't preach to me until you feed me. I think that's a challenge.
0: Well, the good news is there there is some tech that is helping create power, do more with water. And so sorting that out, the the tech transfer bank is is, is a great step there. What are some things, maybe three things they can do to help in this, this journey?
1: In the journey of the SDGs? In the
0: SDGs and to make some of these things that you care about so much happen?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, the Global Compact has defined ten principles that if you go online to the Global Compact and you sign on to those principles, they're pretty simple. It's, you know, supporting human rights, um, getting rid of forced and child labor. They're big ones, but I don't mean to make them sound simple, but if we can achieve them as our core principles as businesses, that will go a long ways to making progress in some of these goals and some of the sustainable development goals.
0: And the rest of them with environment and anti-corruption as well.
1: Exactly. So environment, anti-corruption, precaution and responsibility to the environment, and then developing and encouraging environmentally friendly tech, which sometimes I think that we need to be aware of the negative consequences of tech, especially as it has to do with some of the things that we don't talk about. For instance, uh, the cloud storage as we're all uploading all of our selfies to the cloud. you know That has a massive environmental impact, uh, cloud storage in and of itself. So there's a lot of issues surrounding technology that are great, but also that are very negative.
0: Taking more of a personal you note, know, personal tack. you'd mentioned before in our discussion about your interest in Scotland and, and going back and uh, some of your uh, work there. I think you actually are spending some time there and uh, teaching as well. Could you talk about that?
1: Yes, Um, I'm an honorary professor at Glasgow Caledonia University, uh, and uh, Mary Robinson has established uh, a gender economics center there, which is very interesting. And so I'll be teaching there um, as an honorary professor. And also COP26 is coming to Glasgow, so it's really good timing. COP26 will be in Glasgow, which is all about the environment for the planet. Uh, And we have a a location up in the highlands of Scotland that is very precious um, and really focuses on the environment. Um, We have riverfront property as well as forest, and it's our intention that uh, we utilize that to explore some of these areas that we're going to be talking about, at COP, that we're going to be hopefully creating greater use of our environment in a holistic way.
0: Great. Well, as we start to wrap up, and respecting your time, I know you just got off a transatlantic flight earlier today. Could you share maybe who or what's been a major influence on you?
1: Sure, I would be happy to. Um, I was actually abandoned as a baby at the Salvation Army Hospital. I knew that a lot of that I was I went into the LA County foster care system as a child a very young child and then was adopted into a family and my work in Los Angeles took me I'm a harpist and it took me into the inner city of Los Angeles by choice so I would play my harp at a lot of different events and one day I got a call from the Salvation Army actually and asked me to go to a maternity home and play for Mother's Day. I looked on my birth certificate and I realized the name of that maternity home was the same name that I was that was on my birth certificate. And so as I went back there and I played the harp, actually, for this group of young women and girls, it was very bars on the windows, 10 miles from where I was raised, yet it was where I was born. It came home to me, and it hit me very hard, that by virtue of the fact that I was lifted out of that circumstance... Whatever reason, whatever set of circumstances lifted me out of that, there were a whole lot of people that less than 10 miles away from me was living a completely different life. And it's really about opportunity. It's really about the advantage that you have with education, with everything that I was given, basically. So to me, that was a moment in time that completely changed my life. Um, I, from that point on, I committed myself to equalizing opportunity for others. And I think that that's sometimes what we forget that in our own backyards, we're very much we're very much a product of our environment and our circumstances and what we've been given. And there's a whole most of the world that has not been given. And also, poverty may start in America between X and y, but poverty starts everywhere else. There's a whole there's a whole other, <laughs> grid or or you know lower dominions that we don't really understand how deep poverty gets um, for the rest of the world. So I, I believe the more that we wake up to that, that was my wake up moment in a small way, but I believe the more we wake up to that as a world and as the Western world, I'm going to say a quote that the Dalai Lama said that may not be sound appropriately 100%, but he did say that the world will be saved by Western women. And why the West? Why did he say that? Because we have the resources. So when we become aware of the re- the way the rest of the world lives, let's do our best. Let's take our resources. Let's take what we naturally do as women, which is take care of communities, families, lifting others up, and let's use these resources for the rest of the world. And so that's my, that's my passion and my mission in life.
0: Wow. It's hard to say anything after that. <laughs> it's just absorb that for a moment. Thank you for sharing that. How can people find you online and learn more about what you're doing?
1: Well, you can go to our website, which is until.un.org, and learn about the labs, or unite.un.org, which is our crowdsourcing platform for the Reboot Accelerators, and just engage and participate in some of the events that we have or in in the crowdsourcing competitions that we have. We really need everyone's voice, and we're trying as best we can to reach out to as many people as we can. So join us.
0: Great. And also, you can find details in our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI, I-N-F-O-S-Y-S dot com forward slash IKI in our podcast section. Diane, thank you for your time, and a highly interesting discussion. And everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Abbey Road Sessions, where we talk with thought leaders about achieving resilience in the era of stakeholder capitalism. Thanks to our producer, Yuli Dabari, and the entire Knowledge Institute team. And until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.